before we get into it this morning, I want to ask you to just remind you about some things to be praying about. Uh, one of them, I know Michael already mentioned, was the student trips are, uh, this summer, and uh, especially right now, we've got people traveling right now. So we'll be praying for them. And then uh, Tiffin, uh, God's opening some doors for us there, and we're going to be sharing some more information next week. So uh, I just ex- ask you to be praying about what's going on there, excited about what God may be doing uh, through us there. And then it's my understanding that the Whitakers are here this morning, and uh, and I know they're over here somewhere, but I, I appreciate them being here, and I, I know a lot of you have been praying for little Jack, so I want to continue to ask you to do that uh, in the days ahead. Thanks so much for being here today. We're going to continue, uh, as I said, in our series. We've been talking about the emptiness of pursuing things in life that tend to look really good, when in reality, they're just fool's gold. They aren't the real thing. They don't bring lasting fulfillment. And as we've seen from the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon was a guy who has tried it all. I mean, as he's describing what he's experienced, he's using phrases like striving after wind and using words like meaningless and empty. He says at one point that what is crooked cannot be straightened. Crooked, that's a good word. That's Solomon's way of explaining the fact that something has gone terribly wrong, and no matter how many organizations we start, or elections we hold, or wars we fight, or dollars we spend, or medications we prescribe, or bad guys we lock up, or tears we shed, the world is hopelessly crooked. And naturally that bothers us. I mean, we want it straightened out. It only makes sense. The problem is that not only is everything on the earth crooked, so is everyone on the earth. So we're all part of the problem. See, we get, you, can, you can see where this is growing, going. Crooked people can't straighten out a crooked world. For the idealists, especially the young, that all sounds too negative. <laughs> you know, they're thinking, oh, the, you know, the generations before, they got it wrong, and we're going to get it right. Of course, that's what their parents thought, right? And, and, and everybody's got a different plan, but no one has a successful plan to straighten out this crooked world. Solomon is a guy who gave it his best shot. He tried a lot of ways. We talked about all the different areas of pleasure that he tried. Laughter and partying and building and peace and quiet and servants and singers and women. He tried it all. He, he, th- he thought surely one of these will work. In fact, he said he didn't withhold any pleasure from himself, but he still came to that conclusion that it was all empty. Then last week, Pastor Kevin talked about achievement and work. Those are obviously good things. But when those areas get out of line, when they become the priority in life, they also show up empty. It reminds me of when uh, Becky and I were up in Alaska last year. I told you when we came back that we had a chance to go up to the Arctic Circle. And it was this long, rough trip getting up there, hours and hours of rough driving. And... Um, but when we got up there, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. There's just absolutely nothing around. A little sign that says, congratulations, you made it. <laughs> Arctic Circle. And, um, um, so nothing around, nothing to do there, just you've, you've made it. And there was, but when we got there, there was a guy on a motorcycle that had gotten there just ahead of us a few minutes. 
And he, uh, we got to talking to him a little bit. He had just, like I said, just been there a few minutes. He had driven, though, ridden that bike somewhere, I forget where he says he's from, somewhere on the eastern part of the United States, all the way across our country, up through Canada, up through Alaska, taking him weeks, weeks, and money, and time, and energy. And so we talked to him for a few minutes, and then he's like, get back on the bike. He's like, uh, Guess this is sort of anticlimactic. That's what he said. He cranks it up, turns around, and starts heading home. Weeks of effort. That's sort of what these different areas of our lives are like. We spend all this time, we try and try to put all kinds of time and effort to make them work, but ultimately they're anticlimactic. And so we turn, we start heading in a new direction, just trying to find something that brings significance. And today we're going to look at another area that we often pursue, and it really looks good. In many ways it is good, but if it's out of place, it's also going to bring us emptiness. And that area is the area of wisdom. You say, well, wait a minute, I mean, isn't wisdom good? Doesn't, doesn't the Bible tell us, hey, if we lack wisdom, we should ask God, and he get, he'll give it to us, he gives to all men liberally. Doesn't the Bible promise that to us? Yes. And doesn't the Bible, you say, doesn't the Bible talk a lot about all the good things that wisdom does for us and all the good things that wisdom brings to us? Yes. Why wouldn't it be something we all pursue? You know, that's what we're looking for, right? Wisdom. We want, we want that. Everybody wants it. See, the Hebrew word for wisdom out of the Old Testament, it was a word that had to do with skill. Skill. And having, to do, having the skill to handle life. That's real wisdom. Yeah, everybody wants that. That's what we're looking for. But it's just like all those other areas we've talked about. The problem has to do with priorities. See, real wisdom, meaningful wisdom, the life skills that are actually going to bring fulfillment have to begin with our pursuit of God. That's why the scriptures tell us in more than one place that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It all starts with him. It all starts with our pursuit of him. And then wisdom has its place, and it's good. I was watching some of the news this past week on the uh, death of Charles Krauthammer, you know, the, the news commentator. I passed away this week after a battle with cancer. And I was watching some video that he was, where he was talking about growing up and how his dad had, had said to to Charles and to his brother, I want you guys to know everything. Wow. You know, big, big goal there. I want you to know everything. And so, sure enough, uh, Charles, whether you agreed with him or not, he became a brilliant guy. There's no doubt about that. He was brilliant. But then I'm thinking, you know what? I don't... I don't know where he was at spiritually. From what I've heard, it doesn't sound like he ever trusted in Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's so sad. To, to make it your goal to know so much as if that's the answer, but then to not know God, to miss knowing the one that makes all these other things possible. How sad is that? So it's important, I think, that, that we, we don't miss it, that we look at ourselves, we ask ourselves, who or what are we chasing after as a priority in life? Is our highest pursuit God? And as a part of that pursuit, then, we gain wisdom? 
or is our highest pursuit wisdom? Because if it's just wisdom, we're going to find ourselves feeling disappointed again. And I've got to tell you, I think this is a bigger issue than we may think at first. So many people make it their priority to chase after all the skills we need to handle life. And again, it makes sense that we would chase them. We, we live in a world where it seems like so many don't have much of a handle on life skills anymore. So we get busy, and we read books, and we go to seminars, and we learn how to parent and how to handle our finances and how to do marriage better. Nothing wrong with any of those things. I mean, we teach classes on those right here at Grace. But again, the difference lies in the priorities. Because if our attempts to develop skills for this life become the priority, that becomes the ultimate object objective, that's fool's gold. That's getting answers that we think we need, but in reality, all we're getting is an imitation of what's real. Listen to what Solomon says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 16. He says this, I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed, has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So Solomon talks to us about wisdom, and he says, hey, chasing after wisdom, it's like trying to catch the wind. There's, there's, it's impossible. He says that the more wisdom we gain, the more grief we get. That doesn't sound right, does it? It doesn't sound good. Usually we think, hey, if I get wisdom, if I improve my life skills, if I will get a, to be that better parent, that better husband, that better wife, if I can handle my finances better, if I can do that stuff, my life will get better. And Solomon's like, hey, no, the more wisdom, the more life skills you get, if that's your priority in life, it just adds grief. Of course, we have to remember, he's talking about this wisdom because, about this way about wisdom, because he's talking about life under the sun, right? We've talked about that phrase in this series, life under the sun, life without God. And the wisdom that he's talking about here is wisdom, those supposed life skills that are either apart from God or placed ahead of our pursuing God. He's talking about when wisdom has become the priority. And notice that he says he magnified it, he increased it. Wisdom became his pursuit. And Psalm was like, I had that kind of wisdom. I went after it. And I caught it. I went after wisdom, and I gathered it all together. In fact, I had more of it than anyone who had ever ruled in Jerusalem. I gathered it in. I was a success at that. It was my objective to know wisdom. But what I found out was that with this wisdom came grief. So why would that be? It seems, again, just like the opposite. Why would wisdom bring grief? I think we get a bit of an answer right here in, in, in the verse where he says, he goes on to say, increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Now, normally, we tend to draw some differentiation between wisdom and knowledge. You know, wisdom usually we think of as the more practical side of things, being able to know what's the best thing to do in a situation and being able to live that out. Knowledge is us, the gathered information that we've had. 
But Solomon is, is here equating wisdom with pursuing knowledge. And with that knowledge, he says, comes increasing pain. I think he's saying this. I gathered all this knowledge, all this information, and, and it doesn't clear things up. It only brought me pain. And I want to make it clear for us. We're not, obviously, against information and knowledge. That would be dumb of us, right? <laughs> All for it. But our pursuit of it needs to be in its proper place. It needs to be subordinate to our pursuit of God. I think it's something like he's, Solomon went on to say at the end of the book, in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 12, he said, Beyond this, my son, be warned. The writing of many books is endless, and excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. Great verse for if you're a student, by the way. You know, <laughs> if your parents are getting on you for not getting the good grades, just tell them you're being biblical. You know, you know, you know, don't do that. He's saying this excessive devotion to the information, information that's endless, it can wear you down. And I think in our time, we've done something very similar to what Solomon's doing. We've equated wisdom and knowledge. We think if we just have a bunch of facts, what we believe are facts, that that knowledge will then equate to us having life skills. And the life skills, living them out, will then bring us fulfillment. But believing that's a very dangerous thing to believe. That's what man has done from the beginning of time. Remember when Satan tempted Eve in the garden? And he, and he said this in Genesis 3, 5. Satan speaking says, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan's like, hey, Eve, God, God, God is pulling one over on you here. Eve, if you, when you eat from this tree, it's going to be something. It's going to be great. Because when you eat from it, your eyes are going to be open. You'll be able to see and what you will know. Oh, see, the temptation was that we could know something. And we want that. Because knowing makes us feel self-sufficient. Knowing makes us think we've got it together. And so man's always had this tendency to walk away from God and rely on what we think we know. Paul said this in Romans 1, beginning verse 21. He said, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, because they, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the truth of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So in that paragraph, do you catch the big claim? Professing to be wise. They believe they are wise. Man has always had this tendency to be, want to be self-sufficient, to think we've got the answers. We still, even as believers, we still do that, don't we? Can you see it in our lack of prayer sometimes? You know, we, 
there's a lot of things in our lives we just don't bring to God because why? We think we've got the answers. We've got it together. When mankind rebelled against God, what they immediately began to claim was that they had found good information that would help them out in life. And we're still into gathering information, aren't we? In fact, there may be no time in history where man has been so much into information. And we've got 24-hour news stations, right? You, you on your TV, probably, you've got places you can go to watch multiple 24-hour news stations. And what do you get there? Information. S somewhat. <laughs> Information. You, you, want, you want to know the weather? You've got more than one 24-hour weather station to go to. Information, you can ask Alexa in your home, what's the weather? It's there for you immediately. Sports stations, you want information? We got 24-hour sports stations, 365 days a year. Sports, information. Like Pastor Kevin, I, he spent more time there, but I spent some time growing up in Colorado, and in, in that time, I became a Broncos fan. I wasn't trying to pattern my life after Kevin, but, uh, but spent some time there, became a Broncos fan, and, and so I'm, I'm into the Broncos. But you know there is a radio station in Denver that is 24-7 Denver Broncos? 365 days a year? That's overload, right? But people are into information. They want to hear it all. We're big on it. We've even got something that they used to call the information superhighway, right? You remember when they started talking about that? Remember back in the 90s, some of you were old enough, remember the commercials they ran back in the 90s about the information superhighway? This is one of them, watch this. There will be a road that will not connect two points, but will connect all points. It's speed limit will be the speed of light. It will not go from here to there. There will be no more there! There will be no more there. We will all only be here. Okay. They did a series of commercials with that little girl, and there's two things that always hit me about those commercials. One, I couldn't nail it down, but there's something creepy about those commercials. And number two, I didn't know, I'm, I'm like, what in the world is she talking about? I don't have a clue. The information superhighway, there'll be no more there. We're, you know, what is that all about? At that time, we had no idea. Now, we carry it around in our pockets. And it's all this information, anything we want to know. From the beginning of time, it's here. And we can flip to it and just ask questions. We pursue it. If I can, we think if, we, if I can just get the right answers, if I can get the right information, and, and if some expert can just tell me, and we, we pursue it, we be, and because we're looking for this information, we're hoping that it will bring us wisdom, life skills that will bring us fulfillment and meaning. It's so subtle, I don't think we even notice it. But having information that is available to us can, can consume us. 
It becomes our priority. And yet with all that information that we've got, that we can put our hands on immediately, with all the information that we seem to want, mankind is still broken. We're still hurting. We're still lonely. We're still angry. We're still evil. We're still struggling in relationships. We're still searching for something to give our lives meaning. Information hasn't provided it for us, has it? With all the information we have available, we're still looking for real wisdom. Which can only come when our search for it is in line behind our pursuit of God. The greatest example of that is the Apostle Paul, who gives us what his priority in life was, and it wasn't simply to gain facts. But in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he says that I may know him, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I may know him. Here's what we absolutely need to know, that I may know him, that I would know Jesus. You say, well, I got that down. You know, I, I prayed a prayer one time and I, I know, I know Jesus. I got it. You know, I, I'm in a relationship with him. That's happened. And the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian to probably ever live, he, he's writing scripture as he's saying this. This doesn't even make sense. What do you mean that I may, what do you mean, Paul, that I may, you may know him? What's that about, Paul? You, you already know Jesus. What are you talking about? Well, he's talking about a personal, a deep personal knowing. It's beyond having been introduced to him. It's about knowing him deeply, personally knowing. It's like being married to someone for a long time. You know, when, when they become a part of you and you become a part of them and you know their likes and their dislikes, you know how they're going to react to certain situations, you know when they're going to excel, you know when they're going to struggle, you know them. And the more you know, the more you want to know. The more you know, the more deeply you fall in love with them. What we're talking about here is where we're walking so closely with Jesus that we are intrinsically tied to him. Knowing him. When he's our first thought in the morning, and our final thought at night. When we walk through him through the day, knowing him in a deep, personal way, and knowing as we know him, we get to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection, I mean, what kind of power is that? What kind of power raises someone from the dead? But we get to know it. In fact, Paul said this as he prayed for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
What he's praying about here is the very thing that he said was his own personal goal in Philippians 3, that I may know him. Oh, so he's praying for the church at Ephesus that their heart would be enlightened so that you'll know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He wants, I want you to know this about him, what he's done for you. And, and I want you to know that Resurrection power was the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. His resurrection power that is active in us, active to set us free from sin, active to empower us to live a life pleasing to him. Do you ever, do you ever pray for power? Actually, in reality, what we should be praying for is that we would know the power that's already given to us. See, we, we, we're not lacking in power. God, but God, I can't, I, can't, I can't overcome this sin. Yes, you can. You can't let that be an excuse. Oh, God, I, I, I'm, so, I'm so chained to this. No, Romans 6 tells me I've been set free from sin. I don't have to serve it any longer. I can say no to that sin, that temptation. I can walk. His resurrection power is already given to us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, knowing him, we know his power. Sounds really great, doesn't it? Knowing him also allows us to know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Boy, that doesn't sound so great, does it? The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death? Who's signing up? You know, what's he talking about? Who would want to know that? Well, again, we're talking about when we've fallen so in love with Jesus that no matter what we go through in life, all of our struggles, instead of them being something we complain about or something we get angry about or something that we worry about, instead in them, in some way, to see them as we suffer as his children and consider them a privilege to share in suffering with him. To Paul, it was an honor that he prized. So as we go through life and it hits us with some issue and we feel like we've just been blown over, to be able to see them in, a, in, in the light of the fact that we know Jesus who suffered for us. And to be able to turn that over to him is an aspect of being his. Just God, it's yours. This deal, this issue that I'm dealing with, it's yours. Be able to trust him with that. Being able to, to say, God, if there's some way that you could use me in this situation to bring you glory. God, if in my weakness you're shown to be strong. Even to the point of being conformed to his death. So in love with him that we submit as he was willing to die for us, we would be willing to die for him. As he submitted himself in humility to Father, his Father's will, we also humbly submit ourselves to follow him. It's in that place. It's in that place of pursuing him. 
having fallen so deeply in love with him, that we gain wisdom, real wisdom. So we have to take a look. We've got to ask ourselves the question, what are we in love with more? Wisdom, knowledge, gaining all the information we need for life skills? Or are we more in love with Jesus? You know, we don't even come to church necessarily to gain more information. You know, sometimes I hear people walk out and they go, well, I didn't learn anything new today. Like they're disappointed that they didn't learn anything new. Sometimes we'll learn something new. That's great. But that's not our objective, is it? You know, in your marriage, you're not always thinking, well, I didn't learn anything new about my wife or my husband today. That's disappointing. No. What we do is we're reminded as we watch them, as we live life with them, we're reminded about who they are and why we first fell in love and why we have grown in our love for them. And we see their struggles and we see their triumphs and we want to be a part of that. And again, we grow in our love for them. That's what we do when we come to to church. The the apostle Peter wrote, he said, you know what I want to do? As he's writing, he said, I want to stir up your remembrance. Let's stir up your remembrance. It's not that Peter's writing going, hey, I've got something new to tell you. I want to stir up your remembrance about the things that you already know. When we come to church, part of what we're doing is being our, our remembering, our, whatever the word I'm looking for there, our, our remembrance is being stirred up. And we hear again things that maybe we've heard known for years about who Jesus is. And it causes us to love him more. And so we come and we sing songs why? To, to remember him to be reminded of things we've known for some time. We come to church and we give, why? To be reminded of his goodness to us. We fellowship together, why? To be reminded of what he's done for all of us and how he's brought us together. We, we come to church and we're, most importantly, spending time in God's word to be reminded of who he is so that we, in our love for him, grow, and we, in a, as a result, gain in our life skills, in our wisdom, to be able to go out and live the life that God's called us to do, to live obediently, honoring him, no matter what's happening in our lives. If we're living life, pursuing wisdom first, we're going to be disappointed. But if we live life pursuing Jesus first, we'll gain wisdom and we will never be disappointed. Pursue Him. Gain wisdom. And love Him more. Stand, we'll pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us. You've, you've blessed us in so many ways. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what your son did for us. Thank you for allowing us to know you. God, the greatest adventure in life is to know you, to pursue you, to be your child, to walk through life with you. Help us to do that. Help us, that, Father, that one thing, Father, that we would know you. And we know the power of the resurrection, Father, that, that would allow us to be set free, to set free from sin and set free to serve you. Help us to be aware of that. Help our eyes to be opened and enlightened to that truth, that reality. And Father, that we would know the fellowship of his sufferings. God, through whatever we struggle, we face in life, God, we'd do it as Jesus would have us to do it. That we would uh, honor you through that experience. That we'd be obedient no matter what you've called us to. Help us to be faithful. Thank you for loving us and bringing us to yourself. And I pray, God, if there's somebody here who's never taken that first initial step of coming to you, that, God, they'd, they'd seek you out. They'd come and talk to someone here. And we'd be able to share with them how they can take that step. Father, help us to live faithfully this week. Thank you for your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.